Hey guys, it's Morgan. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. Today's going to be a fun episode. It was just the 4th of July, Independence Day. Uh, I just got back from Texas. I was there for a week. I'll tell you a little story about that because I had a little run-in with someone who didn't know... <laughs> They didn't know a very important thing about American history, and I am not the kind of person you want to do that in front of. Uh, so we had that little mishap. I'll tell you about it. We'll talk about the actual behind-the-scenes context that not a lot of people know about the Declaration of Independence because, what do you know, it was just July 4th. I figured we should all become a little bit more aware, and I'll tell you that story. And then uh, I want to talk about the greater issue of education because in Texas I had an awesome time, and part of my love for Texas right now is they're leading the way with education reform and I couldn't be happier. Um, they also just signed the heartbeat bill, which was super cool. Um, so, so we'll get into a little bit more about American history of the importance of these documents. I'll read you a little bit of the federalist because it's just on my heart. It's on my mind right now. Uh, that being said, let's get into the show. Okay, so first thing, I have to bring this up. So for my Zegers Freedom Flags workshop, I make these flags with my dad. It's how I paid off my student loans. It's at zegersfreedomflags.shop. My friend Kenny from Golden Age Supply, he makes handmade leather goods. It's just the highest quality, so beautiful, a ton of different products. But he reached out and he, he asked if I wanted to do any collabs. And um, from the start, I've always been interested in maybe potentially partnering with other small businesses, partnering with American-made goods, especially leather goods, kind of like that Western vibe, that old-school American vibe. And when he did that, I, I picked these awesome keychains that are going to be coming out soon, key tags, I guess you could say. Um, but they say, We the People... 1776 in that classic font from the document. Uh, I love them so much. It's really, really beautiful leather. A belt loop as well. You can fit it on your belt, um, put your keys on it and everything. I have one. There's going to be limited supply because I don't know how much I want to step into this space or not, uh, but limited supply. So if you want to join the club, if you want to match me with the same one that I have that I use with my Forerunner, um, they're going to be available coming soon on ZeggersFreedomFlags.shop. So perfect time for July 4th when everybody's feeling all patriotic. I'm glad Kenny could get those out quickly. That was awesome of him. Um, but yeah, ZeggersFreedomFlags.shop. It'll be around probably later bit this week week, but I'll announce that later. Now, you guys, um, if you couldn't tell, I have certain values. I have certain uh, beliefs. One of them is that it's really inexcusable to be an incompetent uh, person. It's not responsible. It's actually quite dangerous to be complacent with ignorance with uh, a non-understanding of the world around you. And I'm not saying everybody has to be a genius. Everybody has to be a know-it-all. But I think it's important if we're citizens, if we're voting citizens, that we understand the nation that we live in, the background and the history of the nation, the future of the nation. And not only that, but we understand the basics of how society functions. So our primal roles would be a good one, uh, familial roles, why we have certain traditions and certain culture in a society. And then, of course... The, the economics, finances, policy, all of these fundamental things that keep society going. <sighs> Maybe that was a little too complicated uh, for me to say there because I was like, hey, I just have a simple expectation of people. Uh, you know, just know all the things. Uh, but back to the point. I'm in Texas and I, I went, or I was in Texas. I just got back today. But I was in Texas all last week. I went, this is a little story. I went to McAllen for a speech 
And thanks to the Joe Biden America economy, uh, I got stuck in McAllen and the earliest flight they could get for me was another two or three days of waiting in McAllen. And if you've been to McAllen, uh, it's a hard place to stay for that long extended period of time. And so I was looking at all the options and it turns out my friend Jorge Ventura from the Ventura Report, uh, awesome reporter, journalist that covers uh, the border, the cartel, MS-13, some really, really important issues in this country. He ended up coming last minute to the event that I was speaking at, which was the county GOP down there, their Lincoln-Reagan dinner. And so I spoke at that, but also guess who I got to sit with at dinner? Myra Flores the woman who just got elected for the first time in 150 years in that district that has always been Democrat for 150 years, a Republican woman just won, Hispanic Republican woman, uh, awesome. One of the best public speakers I've ever heard she was. Uh, it was an awesome community event. They had the best environment of community. Myra's campaign headquarters was in her pastor's place at their church. Her pastor was at the GOP dinner all of these community members, they were involved in faith. They were involved in supporting police. I met someone who coordinates police support events in those communities and then brings Republican supporters and, and volunteers into those events. So it's a collaboration of the party, the community, the law enforcement that's there. And everybody just feels supported and welcomed. And it was awesome. So I got to speak at that. Thank you so much to Adrian, who is, uh, I think in 2018, she got put in as the county chair Awesome, awesome woman, awesome family, awesome county GOP. I hope they inspire many more communities to take on their similar involvement mentality. So I got to speak there, but then I find out Jorge's there because he was supposed to interview Myra, Congresswoman Myra Flores, after. So I reach out to him and I was like, wait, I think Jorge told me he's driving up to Dallas. I don't want to be stuck here for multiple days in my little hotel room. I cannot do that kind of stuff. And I'd rather be in Dallas. Uh, Jorge and I hopped in his car and I drove with Jorge and his film crew for oh, about nine hours from McAllen to Dallas the next morning. And it was so sweet of them to let me in the back of their car. <laughs> it was pretty funny, you guys. But either way, Morgan made it to Dallas for the 4th of July. You know what I'm saying? And I'm in Dallas and I'm touring around. And on July 2nd, I believe, you know, by this point, it's July 4th weekend. It's Independence Day weekend. I'm touring this place and, and I'm like, oh, I kind of like this. And the woman sits me down and she asked me for my contact information and I gave her my email. Um, it includes an important number, 1776. The woman looked me in the eyes and with a straight face asked me, oh, is that a, is that an important year or something? Hmm. And the, the person that was with me <laughs> said that my reaction was just dumbfounded. Um, I'm really an awkward person. If you haven't met me in person, I'm not really good at the young people, social engagement stuff. And so imagine me with a, a, a young woman in her profession asking me, if 1776 is an important year or something. Um, and then, you know, I, I explained what it was and I was like, you know, it's, it's the 4th of July this weekend, July 4th, 1776. Does that, 
Does that ring a bell? Um, so, so either way, she looks at me and she's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> sorry. I just, history was my worst category, my worst subject in school. I was never good at it. I never really liked it. Mm. Or that right there, that answer is one of the biggest problems in this country that people see history as merely a subject in school and not everything. It's fundamental. It is us. It is humans, human history. It's not a subject in school that you're either good at or bad at. It is everything. And I, I had so many questions that popped into my head, probably not nice ones. I, I know I seem kind of nice, but when it's something like this, I really just want to look at her and say, are you from Texas or, or did you move here from a different state? And did you vote in the last election with this uh, level of knowledge? Do you plan on voting? How, how much do you know about politics? I wanted to ask her political views so bad, but I just said, not the time. I cannot make this woman the bane of my existence. I cannot make this woman uh, guilty for all of societal problems around education on history. I'll let her slide. But it, her quick statement of, oh, sorry, I'm just so bad at history. It was my worst subject in school. We got to stop thinking of history as a subject in school or civics as a subject in school. It's truly unacceptable. I makes me really, really sad. So that little exchange, uh, it led me to think, geez, I mean, I wonder how many people don't even know that 1776 is the year of independence. Do they know? I mean, you can ask people on Memorial Day. They won't even be able to explain to you why they have a three-day weekend. It'd be silly for me to think that that wouldn't be the case with July 4th, Independence Day as well. But bringing, you know, past to present, uh, not only do we have a poor understanding of history, of America's founding, our founding documents, and all these things, we also just have a bad understanding of what's recently happened in the country. And I would also blame the classroom, the education system. And so I was really thankful because Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA, he found out that I was reading Age of Entitlement, and he asked me to come on the show to talk about it today. And so I got to go on the Charlie Kirk show. Uh, we talked about Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell. And like I've said before on the show, I'm really impressed with the book. It's something where the entire topic is is a bit, you know, dangerous to think about because it talks about the flaws of the Civil Rights Act and not the concept of uh, making sure that all people in America have rights and have equality, but instead what happened with the age of entitlement was this change. It almost created two constitutions in our country. One was the original. The next one was based on leadership and change in policy and these things via litigation, not legislation, not the constitutional process as in the constitution that was um, created and then went through the ratification process back in 1787. So I, I think it's just as important to understand our, our more recent history, our current events, as it is with American history. And that all goes back to a failure of the education system, a, a giving up by American parents of these responsibilities and roles. But I'll get into that in a little bit. First, I want to tell you guys a little bit about um, July 4th, 1776, uh, because a lot of people don't know the full story. So if you understand that the... the 
The American Revolution was a years-long process. So before you had the, the concept of two countries at war with each other, as America saw it, where they declared independence, they were their own country, and they were fighting a war against England, Britain, you had a situation of colonies of the monarchy across the ocean behaving rebelliously. And for a very long time, that's how that was treated and that's how that was viewed by the entire world, okay, even by the colonists. And so the colonists, the the patriots of America, they later would become, they continued to try to communicate to the crown that, listen, we are very upset with taxation without representation. We are very upset with uh, the treatment of colonists, with the, the over-policing that we're seeing in the colonies by the redcoats. Uh, we have these grievances, and as your colonies, we would like to have these things fixed so that we can get back to a better, healthier relationship. And as tensions rose and, and little things happened here and there and became worse and worse, the crown began to ignore the colonists, even as the colonists were releasing documents saying, we declare loyalty to the crown. We just want to fix these things. So if you're at, you got to put it, how weird is this? They are starting to not just have little skirmishes, but you're straight up having battles as members of the colonies against the crown that you are declaring loyalty to. They were actively declaring loyalty to people, soldiers that they were declaring loyalty to, to a crown that they were saying, listen, we'll put on paper that we still are, are willing to continue this relationship. We just want to fix these things. And the crown, maybe this was our big mistake, as some people saying, they didn't listen to the colonies and they kept it up and they weren't interested in fixing the problems. They wanted to put their big boot down on the colonists for causing all these problems. And so they weren't interested in stopping and they weren't interested in coming up with solutions. So eventually they got into a situation where the colonists realized, okay, um, we're not going to win this ourselves. It's not possible. We're going to, to what? We're, we're starting a war with the greatest empire in existence right now as members of, of the 13 colonies? How far is that going to get us? How well are we going to do in a situation like that? So they started to realize that they needed to gain partnership. They needed allies. They needed support. But then put yourself in the shoes of those potential allies and potential supporters from across the world in the sense of like, why would France want to get involved in a situation that from their perspective, and at that point, until the Declaration of Independence was brought into the picture, at that point, everybody's just looking at it as like some out of control colonies that need to get controlled by the monarch. That's all it was. And so why would France get involved in that? Why would they get all dirty and messy and spend money and, and get into a big problem like that over England not being able to control some colonies? That's all it was. So it's not exactly a big, uh, a strong ask to ask France or anybody like that to start helping and getting involved. But once things happened, like declaring independence, that's a game changer. And that brings so much more importance as well to the big picture of what July 4th really was. When they brought into the picture the Declaration of Independence, these colonies that were at war with Great Britain, but were still on paper declaring loyalty, they said, uh-uh, with this Declaration of Independence, we no longer declare loyalty to the crown. 
We officially are saying that we are declaring independence. We are our own country now. That is why it was so, so important. Because, yes, of course, it's it's very important for the significance of declaring this, of what was said in the Declaration of Independence. All of these things, that's very fundamentally important. But strategically, it had massive importance because it finally declared to the world, hey, you can join us. We aren't just some little, these little baby colonies that are getting feisty that have to get put down. We are going to war as an independent nation. And uh oh, you guys know France, you should know this. France and Great Britain didn't exactly get along. They had a bad history. And so it made it a lot easier for France to start considering this option. So what also helped bring in allies would eventually be, and I'm very proud of this, when America won the Battle of Saratoga. The Battle of Saratoga in upstate New York, where I'm from, I, I mean, I literally lived minutes from there when I was growing up, minutes from the battlefield. You could go tour it, ride horses through it, run through it, bike through it. My family, would, all, my dad would always take me and my, my mom and my sister there. It, so many memories. And perhaps that's why I'm such a little patriot now, but it's super cool to see the historic battleground. When we won against Great Britain in the Battle of Saratoga, that was the turning point of the Revolutionary War because first of all, declared independence, baby, and now we also have this huge victory under our belt that proved to France that we were a force to be reckoned with, that we could potentially do this. And so France looked at these two factors and and probably many others and they said, all right, it's time for us to put our chips in, we're going in, we're joining America's side, and we would not have won the Revolutionary War without France. Now, before I move us on, uh, I thought it would be kind of nice to hear just that beginning of the Declaration of Independence, because it's fantastic. It says, in Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form, as to them shall see most likely to affect their safety and happiness." Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. 
The history of the present King of Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let all facts be submitted to a candid world. So you guys, sorry to read it, but if you think about it, how many people have actually read those words? Have you read those words? Have you taken the time to do that? And he goes on later on in the Declaration of Independence to list the grievances, the abuses of power, the tyrannical ways of uh, the crown. And then they went on to win the Revolutionary War, which is just wonderful. But back to that bigger picture of what we're facing in this country. Unfortunately, most Americans don't understand some basic fundamental concepts and they fall for political lies in this country coming from the left whether they are just crazy woke liberals or radical economic leftists they fall for these lies and it's because they don't have a solid foundation to stand on they were not given and and raised up with a solid foundation to then defend American principles. So I really don't blame the kids that are falling for it because how could they defend our principles when the education system, their families, pop culture, the media is all telling them not to be proud of our history. I don't want to get too much into it, but when our founders got together and wrote our founding documents, First, they tried the Articles of Confederation. That government did not work. It was not strong enough. It was leading to collapse, to separation, and to constant warring, constant potential warring. So they came back together. The founders wrote the Constitution, and it had to be ratified. When they did this and they wrote the Constitution, our founders looked at every thing, every example that they could that was uh, available to them, given the limited Uh, amount of information in that uh, century. They looked at every example of an attempt at democracy, of a republic, of a confederacy, and of other forms of government, especially representative government, to see why they all failed. And they really, really wanted to try and see what they could do to learn those lessons, evaluate them, and then create a new form of government, which had never been done before, a government that would learn the mistakes of the past, not repeat them, and create a framework that structured around avoiding those same mistakes. It was fascinating. So that being said, the problem, if you guys don't know this, if you don't watch Freedom Papers, you got to get on Freedom Papers right now. The problem was that some people saw the Constitution and said, oh my gosh, you have just created a future repeat of King George. Others looked at it and said, you know, it's not, it's not the best because it's just a bunch of compromises. Like even Alexander Hamilton was like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> and he ended up writing the Federalist Papers. Um, but they all looked at it and they were like, listen, this is, a, this is pretty good. <laughs> Given all of human history, this is a pretty good document. And then they had to convince all of the American people out there to want to support and ratify this new government. So I'll, I could talk about a few of the, the concepts with that in honor of July 4th, in honor of Independence Day and the spirit that we're all in. Um, but first, I'd, I'd be crazy to not mention Turning Point. So I love history. I, I do a lot of history work on my own personal stuff. I interview survivors of communism. You guys can see that at the Freedom Records. Um, I make freedom flags because I love 
history. I love our flag. I love representing it with products that go in the homes of Americans in their workshop and um, their garages and their living rooms where everybody crowds around and uh, can see that and really represent America on a day-to-day basis in their homes. I love all of these things. And so when Turning Point asked me if I wanted to do freedom papers, I have just grown to love this project and I'm so thankful that they asked me. Um, if you don't watch it yet, you could go to tpusa.com slash freedom papers and you can look up, uh, I think on all podcast platforms and then it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, the video versions, freedom papers, but me and usually I have my friend Connor Clegg on, he's the producer for Charlie's show. We sit and we go over every single one of the federalist papers. And then we talk about what the anti-federalists were saying in their anti-federalist papers and we look up what the founders were saying in the Federalist Papers, and we go one by one. If you're listening to this, and you haven't heard of Freedom Papers, and you're thinking, what the heck is she talking about? Um, Don't worry. It's okay. The school system doesn't teach you about the Federalist Papers, so I will, briefly. Um, Like I was saying earlier, you had to ratify the Constitution. We are a representative government. The founders believe in choice and government, government by the people. And so they could not just change the government all willy-nilly just because they wrote a new one. They had to look, this is a big one, they had to look at the American people and say, hi, (laughs) we know that you just trusted us very recently to write a government, and we called it the Articles of Confederation, and we promised it would be super good, and uh, it failed pretty quickly. And now we rewrote a new one, and we're asking you to to trust this one this time, even though we just kind of went back on the, the last plan. We know that doesn't sound the best, but we're, we're hoping you take this one just as seriously. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a big uh, issue of trust right there, right? As an, a voting citizen, would you be like, well, why would we trust you to do it again this time if you didn't do it right the first time? So one of the big points that they, they write about in The Federalist is, yeah, exactly, actually. You you trusted us to fight a war. You trusted us to get you through that war and actually win it, and we did. You trusted us during a time of absolute turmoil where our, our homes, our land, it's being invaded, they're on fire, our, our friends and family members and citizens of our communities are, are being killed, dying, fighting every single day. Through that chaos, we came together and wrote the Articles of Confederation, and we tried our best. But the documents clearly written during a moment of chaos. That being said, it's been some time. And we are asking you to trust us again as wiser men, as older men than we were that what, last decade or whatever ago. We're asking you, Now with this experience of fighting and winning that war, of getting us through that, of settling down, of seeing and experiencing the failures and working through the failures of the documents that we first tried, will you please trust us again? That's a very humble thing to do. Can you imagine modern politicians these days admitting such a major, massive mistake, massive mess up, admitting that it's a bad, bad mistake, and you're like, listen, I, given the circumstances, we're asking on our, like in a very humble way for you to trust us one more time. That's one of the big things that, that really caught my eye about the second attempt at government, which was the Constitution. 
Now, if you don't know what the Federalist Papers are, so the interesting story is that, yes, you had to convince the people to vote in favor of ratifying a new government because the first one wasn't a big hit. The government was too weak. Um, And so what was happening is there were some states that were pretty against it. I mean, you got to imagine the trust issues that you're going to have if you just fought a revolutionary war against a colonizing monarchy, empire that has massive influence around the world. You just got out of that situation. You're not exactly keen to want to do it again. And now you're hearing that a new government is about to be proposed that would give more power to the American federal government. It would create this this federal government, a stronger central government instead of just sovereign states put together in a league that was uh, basically the Articles of Confederation. So you're a little apprehensive because you're like, wait, I don't want to get into another King George situation and this sounds a lot like it. So that's one of the arguments they were saying. So you had the anti-federalists that were against ratification. You had Federalists that were for it, and you had opinion pieces going out in newspapers across the colonies, well, now across the country, which wasn't very big at the time, but specifically in New York State, in New York City. So Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, John Jay, they started writing on behalf of the Federalists in favor of ratifying the U.S. Constitution. They started writing opinion pieces that basically broke down every argument, every concern you could have about the Constitution to try and reach the average readers that were going to be voting in favor or against ratifying the Constitution. They wanted to change their hearts and minds, and they trusted the people on their ability to be able to read, evaluate, and go forward. Now, the first part of the Federalist Papers is, uh, I think, the first 36 papers of 85 break down why it's important to, first of all, just remain a union. Because some people were saying, let's just split up into small states, into small confederacies, into halves, whatever it may be. They thought, we can't have such a big nation. And that, at the time, was only 13. So the first section is is why we have to have a stronger and an existing one union. The second section, which was 37 through 85, went through every aspect of the proposed constitution every aspect of the structure. And it's just awesome. So you had the release of all the Federalist opinion ones that were going out, and you also had dueling opinion pieces coming out from the Anti-Federalists, and they kind of go head to head. I mean, they get a little sassy with each other. They get a little accusatory. Sometimes they're very wholesome and very respectful. Other times they're saying these people are basically idiots, <laughs> is or more of like they're either idiots or they are evil and they're trying to ruin this country and bring monarchy. <laughs> so it's very entertaining. And if you want to read them, I mean, it's very easy. My favorite version is uh, Charles Kessler. What ended up happening is they took the 85 Federalist Papers, put them together in a book and called it The Federalist and then published that book later on. But the story of the ratification debate is so beautiful because it was one of the first examples of Americans coming together to debate, to disagree, to um, negotiate, and to find a solution where all sides can be represented and heard. And so we would not have, this is the big thing, at the time of the proposed Constitution, there wasn't a Bill of Rights. Now think about it. Would you support the Constitution being ratified if there wasn't a Bill of Rights? What do you think? Would you have been an anti-federalist? Would you have been a bit concerned? I totally see that. I totally see it. I go back and forth when I read the papers, some some great points by the anti-federalists, some great points by the federalists. 
So what I love about it is that because of the, the dueling opinions and you had to debate and negotiate, we got a the creation of the Bill of Rights. That is why there is a Bill of Rights, because the Anti-Federalists finally agreed to vote to ratify in exchange for a Bill of Rights being added after ratification. So um, with that being said, I, I don't want to go too crazy on you guys, but I, I do want to read... One little section of Federalist Number 2, which is my favorite paper, or one of my favorite papers in the Federalist, just so that you can understand. And put yourself in the shoes of an American in 1787 when these papers began coming out and everybody is starting to have to look at both sides and decide if they want to vote to ratify or not ratify the U.S. Constitution that was proposed. This is by Publius. Keep in mind, uh, these are by Hamilton, Madison, and John Jay, but they did not put their names on this. They put them under the pen name Publius, and nobody knew who wrote them for a very long time. This is Federalist 2. John Jay actually wrote this one. It has often given me pleasure to observe that independent America was not composed of detached and distant territories, but that one connected, fertile, Wide-spreading country was the portion of our Western Sons of Liberty. Providence has, in a particular manner, blessed it with a variety of soils and productions, and watered it with innumerable streams for the delight and accommodation of its inhabitants. A succession of navigable waters forms a kind of chain round its borders, as if to bind it together, while the most noble rivers in the world, running at convenient distances, present them with the highways for the easy communication of friendly aids and the mutual transportation and exchange of their various commodities. With equal pleasure, I have as often taken notice that Providence has been pleased to give this one connected country to one united people, a people descended from the same ancestors, speaking the same language, professing the same religion, attached to the same principles of government, very similar in their manners and customs, and who, by their joint counsels, arms, and efforts, fighting side by side throughout a long and bloody war, have nobly established their general liberty and independence. This country and this people seem to have been made for each other, and it appears as if it was the design of providence that an inheritance so proper and convenient for a band of brethren united to each other by the strongest ties, should never be split into a number of unsocial, jealous, and alien sovereignties. Similar sentiments have hitherto prevailed among all orders and denominations of men among us. To all general purposes, we have uniformly been one people, each individual citizen everywhere enjoying the same national rights, privileges, and protection. As a nation, we have made peace and war, as a nation, we have vanquished our common enemies. As a nation, we have formed alliances and made treaties and entered into various compacts and conventions with foreign states. A strong sense of the value and blessings of union induced the people, at a very early period, to institute a federal government to preserve and perpetuate it. And then I'm just going to skip to the end of it, you guys, where it has a really great ending quote. It is worthy of remark that not only the first, but every succeeding Congress, as well as the late convention, have invariably joined with the people in thinking that the prosperity of America depended on its union. To preserve and perpetuate it was the great object of the, of the people in forming that convention, and it is also the great object of the plan which the convention has advised them to adopt. 
With what propriety, therefore, or for what good purposes, are attempts at this particular period made by some men who depreciate the importance of the Union? Or why is it suggested that three or four confederacies would be better than one? I am persuaded in my own mind that the people have always thought right on this subject, and that their universal and uniform attachment to the cause of the Union rests on great and weighty reasons, which I shall endeavor to develop and explain in some ensuing papers." They who promote the idea of substituting a number of distinct confederacies in the room of the plan of the convention seem clearly to foresee that the rejection of it would put the continuance of the Union in the utmost jeopardy. That would certainly be the case, and I sincerely wish that it may be as clearly foreseen by every good citizen that whenever the dissolution of the Union arrives, America will have reason to exclaim in the words of the poet, Farewell, a long farewell to all my greatness. Publius. So you guys, you can see he has a little fun with it. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful what he's saying for the most part. It's uh, very poetic in this paper, Federalist 2, but he also takes some jabs at the Anti-Federalist, and that's always a little bit fun to see the, the political back and forth between the two sides. My favorite aspect of this, though, is, he, again, you have to put yourself in the shoes of an average citizen of 1787. You pick up the paper. You pick up the local paper, and you see that written as an opinion piece by a, a mysterious person named Publius that when they wrote in Federalist One, basically said, I have your best interest and I'm going to help guide you in making a very important decision for the future of the country. And you keep seeing these papers and they're explaining all the different ways of why it'd be dangerous if we split, why we should uh, have three se separate branches of government, the checks and balances, what each legislative uh, duty is, what the judicial duties are, what the executive branch will do. It explains everything. And you can go as a citizen that wants to educate yourself, read it, and then make an educated choice with your vote. And I, I just love the respect that they had for citizens. They understood that the citizens were aware at the time and smart enough and cared enough to want to better themselves and their understanding of these issues before making a crucial decision. Um, that brings it back to my my good friend at that place in Dallas who asked me if 1776 was an important year. We can't even remember our year that we were declaring independence. We can't even remember our, the birthday year of our nation. And back then they were reading 85 opinion pieces released into the local paper just before making one important vote in their life. Um, you guys... With that being said, I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July. I hope this inspired you a little bit to read a bit more of the Federalist Papers. Maybe go read the full version of the Declaration of Independence. And of course, most importantly, make sure your kids are too. Uh, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you.